0: We'll be preaching on our Romans series this Sunday, and then the next several Sundays leading up to Christmas, we'll be uh, preaching on an incarnation theme. <clears throat> All right, our reading is Romans chapter four, verses one to twelve, and the sermon is going to focus on verses nine to twelve. God speaks to us through His servant Paul as He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hear these words, Romans 4.1, what then, "'What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness.' Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. That our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. In this section of Paul's letter to the Romans, he continues to explain the meaning of the gospel. And he's dealing with a a particular aspect of the gospel, a particular part of the teaching of the gospel, which is known as justification by faith. He's very clearly uh, explaining that particular teaching. Justification answers this key question, how can I an ungodly person, a sinner, how can I be righteous in the sight of a holy and a just God?" You remember what Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 5, "...and to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly." Justifies the ungodly. Back in Romans 3, verse 21, we see that this is his theme, this is his topic of discussion. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And then look in verses 23-25. to For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this church today, everybody in this world today has sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. If that's true of us, how do we ever gain God's favor? How do we escape His just condemnation? We are under His wrath. Well, there's the gospel, the good news of how ungodly people are made righteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift not something we've earned, but something given to us as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here is a gift, faith is how we receive it. According to to Paul's Gospel, we are justified, we are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are acceptable and able to enter into His holy presence apart from any contribution we make. Apart from any work of the law. It is by faith. Now, faith, we should understand in in this way, based on what, what I just read from Paul's writing. Faith is is the needy hands of the sinner, the ungodly, the unrighteous person, reaching out and receiving Christ and all of the benefits that are offered to us in the Gospel. So, what what does Christ gift us with for our justification? How does an, an unrighteous, ungodly person receive the declaration of God that we are righteous and pure in His sight. Well, Christ does two things for us, and, and we've labored at this a lot in this section on Romans because I think it's so important. What does He do? Well, first of all, when we embrace Jesus by uh, Jesus Christ by faith. We are granting Him our sins. We are asking Him to take our sins and to pay the price for them. He takes our sins and He pays the the judicial punishment and price for them on the cross. And then He keeps the law perfectly for us. He grants to us, He transfers to us, to our account, His pure righteousness. Now, here is a, a definition of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, found in uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33. And let me just say this, if you're not familiar with some of the, the resources of our, uh, of our faith, of the Reformed faith, man, the, the Shorter Catechism is such a beautiful resource to instruct us about what the Bible teaches. It gives us short synopsis of very deep and complicated theological teachings. If if, if someone on the street were to ask you, Paul talks a lot, they they come up to you and they say, hey, Paul talks a lot about this justification idea in in Romans. Tell me, what, what is justification? How would you answer that? Would you kind of stumble over your words and think, well, what do I say to this person? I I found even a very simple question, who is God, can trip us up. Because we don't have a ready answer for it. The catechism gives us a ready answer. Here's a great response if somebody says, hey... You, you go to Main Street, I, I saw you leaving the church the other day, and uh, I was reading Paul's letter, and Paul says, you know, the righteous, uh, we receive righteousness through faith in Christ, and something about being justified in His sight. What does that mean, justification? Well, here's your, here's your go-to answer. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33. Justification is an act of God's free grace. It's a gift. It's an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardons all of our sins. It's it's an act of a judge, and He says, I'm pardoning you of all of your sins. And He accepts us as righteous in His sight. That's beautiful. Do you you stand and and think, you know, I'm, I'm righteous? I am righteous in the sight of God. I think we have a hard time saying that. But if we believe the gospel, we can say that. That's what justification is saying. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all of our sins and He accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. It's a gift accomplished, achieved, all of our righteousness is achieved by Jesus Christ. All we are simply doing is receiving it through faith. Beautiful definition of, of justification. Pretty powerful teaching that God has come into this world to save sinners. That's the good news of the Gospel. Now, in Romans 4, Paul is dealing with a tricky area. How is it that God does this? Does He only do it for His people, the Jews who have been circumcised, the Old Testament people of God? Or does He open it up to all people? Does He open up the Kingdom to Gentiles as well? Look at verse 9 of our text, Romans 4, 9. Is this blessing of justification by faith alone? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? That's the question we're dealing with today. Two points I want to bring up. First of all the Gentile problem. This is why the question is being asked, the Gentile problem. And then the second thing we're going to look at is the role of circumcision. What is the role of circumcision, what is the role of a sacrament if we're justified by faith, apart from the works of the law even before the sacrament was given? So, we are going to analyze and discuss and dig into these questions. First of all the Gentile problem. we need to understand that it's taking place in the New Testament is there is an expanding Kingdom of God. It's growing exponentially in the New Testament period. From the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus Christ God's Kingdom was limited. He made His covenant with a particular nation, a particular people, the Jews. And He marked them out as His covenant people through the sacramental sign of circumcision. Now there were a few notable exceptions, but not many. It was not widely expanding beyond the context and the the, the constraints of the Jewish nation, the ethnic Jews. Now we can think of Rahab. You remember Rahab, the prostitute who saved the spies in the city of Jericho. She was a Gentile, but she believed. So, there were exceptions. Ruth, uh, the Moabitess who was uh, the great grandmother of David, she also put her trust in the God of Israel. Naaman, the Syrian general uh, who was cured of leprosy, another uh, exception to the rule. But generally speaking, people of God were limited to ethnic Jews. And if they were converted, if, someone, if a Gentile was converted the general practice was that they would be circumcised and they would submit to the laws of Moses, the law of Moses. Now Jesus as King of the Kingdom issues a decree that radically expands the Kingdom and greatly disturbs the Jewish population. Now, you'll be familiar with this commandment. Uh, It's something that really we focus on in the month of February, our missions month. This is the Great Commission. In the Great Commission Jesus says something that that changes the, the dynamics of His redemptive plan, that blows the doors wide open to who has access to God. He says this, one of His departing words to His Apostles. He says, "'Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit now for us we, we may not think much of that term all nations that's the goyim in the old testament the pagans the non-jews this is a radical development in the plan of God now God saying to his apostles go and share the good news to everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. No one is excluded from the benefits and the gift of the gospel. Go to all nations. Now, the po- apostles begin to implement this command in the book of Acts. You remember, they are told to, to be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends. Of the earth. And Paul is a fascinating figure in this development. In Acts chapter 9, right after his conversion, we're given a little nugget of information that tells us God's purpose for him. Paul the Apostle, who's writing the book of Romans, who's wanting to expand the kingdom into Spain. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's wanting to see this fulfillment of the expanded kingdom going into Europe. We're told of him this. God says, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Now, you can imagine that the Jews didn't receive this very well. Wait a second. So it's not just us anymore? We have to share this thing with everybody? I don't know if we like that. We went through a lot of difficulties throughout the Old Testament, and these people are going to ride on our piggybacks without the Exodus, and the wilderness wanderings, and the exile, and all of the things that we went through. The greatest disturbance to the peace and unity of the Church during the time of the Apostles was the introduction of Gentiles into the people of God. That created pastoral problems for Paul, for Peter, for James, for John, for all of the church leaders. Some among the Jews insisted that yes, the gospel is important, but Gentile converts had to, to, uh, to be circumcised and submit to the customs of Moses. We read about this controversy in Acts chapter 15. Now, you need to understand something about how the Jews understood circumcision to get this right. What was circumcision in the Jewish mind during the time period of Paul? What is he he dealing with? Well, circumcision was viewed as the initial work of the law. It's a law work. Which Paul's been saying, what? You're righteous apart from law works. Apart from the works of the law. It was to be followed by a number of other things. It was the first step. So, be circumcised, step one, and then keep the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Submit yourself to the sacrificial system, the ceremonies, the rites, the rituals of the Jewish people. Observe the dietary laws of the Jewish people. All of these things. And so, we just put faith in Jesus as another aspect to this. You have to be circumcised, you have to submit to Moses, and you have to believe in Jesus. It's just another step on the journey to becoming righteous with God. That's how they thought of it. That's how they viewed it. You need to understand that to get what Paul's after. Faith in Jesus was just another step, another work of the law. What makes a person right with God? What makes someone a true child of Abraham? That's the question presented in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is circumcision central and necessary, something apart from which you cannot be saved? Paul gives us an argument. He brings us to Abraham, who the Jews had great, tremendous respect from. They traced, traced their genealogy back to Him. They considered themselves children of Abraham. Look at um, in verse 11, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that He had by faith while still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make Him the Father of all who believe. So, He is our spiritual Father in the faith. Paul presents a chronological and a historical argument. He says, he acknowledges in, uh, in verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So Abraham's righteousness was received by faith. Now then he says, when did it happen? We know it's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. What was his righteousness? Faith. He believed. Did he do anything? Did he do any works of the law? Did he worship in the temple? Was he circumcised? Did he do anything to gain the righteousness apart from belief? No. It was faith. And then according to Jewish tradition in Genesis chapter 17, so two chapters later, he is circumcised. Jewish tradition says they, they believe that that was about a 25 year gap between fifteen Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. So, what Paul is saying is timing is everything here. He was declared righteous before participating in the sacrament of circumcision, and well before 400 plus years before Moses came along and brought the Mosaic law, the temple, all of these things. Righteousness, Paul reasons based on this, is a free gift we receive by faith although we don't deserve it. Circumcision comes after. Circumcision comes after. And therefore, can the Gentiles participate in this blessing? Absolutely, because the key, the central piece isn't circumcision, it's faith. It's faith in the promises of God. We are righteous in God's sight by faith, by believing, by taking hold of what Christ freely offers to us. So, what's the point of circumcision? If circumcision doesn't save us, maybe we should just not worry about sacraments. Because we get them confused. We start to put, we start to invest in them things that they were never meant to to hold. So let's let's just forget about it, right? No, that's not what He says. He corrects them on the purpose of circumcision. That's our second point, the role of circumcision. What is the purpose of circumcision? Circumcision. What's the purpose of baptism or the Lord's Supper? They don't save us. But we need to be very careful about how we view them. We should have a high view of the sacraments. Why? Well, because they're ordained by God, He gave them to, to us. So circumcision doesn't save, but ask Moses' wife when Moses failed to circumcise his children if God cared. He was about to hunt Moses down, if you read in the story in Exodus. And she quickly circumcised his boys in obedience to God. It didn't save them. Their salvation was to be by the righteousness of faith, but it had some importance, some very powerful importance. What is it? Sacraments are given in addition, separate to faith, to serve our faith, to build our faith, to strengthen and encourage our faith. Verse 11 is a very important verse here. He received the sign, it's a sign, the sign of circumcision, As a seal, a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So it meant to serve the righteousness of faith. It was a sign of it and a seal of the righteousness by faith. They're meant to aid, to strengthen to be means of grace to help us to persevere in the faith until the very end. Never to be taking the place of faith. Never to be on par with faith. Our salvation, our righteousness is by faith. These things somehow serve faith. Let me define a sacrament for you very briefly. A sacrament is a visible sign. So, circumcision, baptism is a visible sign. We pour water on On the recipient of baptism. The Lord's Supper is a visible sign. We take uh, bread and wine and we we eat it. uh, Pointing to a spiritual truth for the purpose of confirming and establishing one's faith in Christ. Louis Burkhoff, a, a Dutch theologian writes this about a sacrament. He says, they visibly Represent and deepen our consciousness of the spiritual blessings of the covenant, of the washing away of our sins, and of our participation in the life that is in Christ." So think of baptism, well, or circumcision. What, what, is, what is the sign circumcision is teaching the Israelites? One, it's pointing their faith to a male child to come. It's placed on the male sex organ. It's, it's driving them to, to wait in anticipation for this male child who is going to conquer sin, the devil, and death for them. That's Jesus. So it's, it's pointing them to Christ. Second, it's, it's a cutting away of the flesh, and that symbolizes the removal of the old man the old nature, and the need to have it replaced by something new. So that's the symbolism. Baptism is is pretty simple, isn't it? It's a cleansing. We're teaching those who receive the baptism the need to cleanse and to wash. The Lord's Supper, substance. You need bread and wine. It was a sign in the time of Jesus of the, the basic elements that sustain physical life. We need something to sustain us spiritually. They're signs pointing to something greater. They're signs pointing to the substance, which is Christ. And let me give you a a little illustration to help you to see how we're to use the sacraments. You ever been driving down the interstate? If you're out in West Texas, you really get this. There's some strips in, in parts, maybe you know, driving down to the, the Delta on 82 or something. Driving down the road, kinda taking your chances and, and all of a sudden the little orange or yellow light on your, your fuel indicator goes off. Uh-oh, so you got about what? 30 miles before you're on empty. So what are you doing? You're on the interstate. You, you, you're almost out of gas. You need something. So what are you looking for when you approach, you know, that mile away before the next exit? There's these blue signs. Okay, lodging. There's lodging at this next exit. I don't need lodging. I might need lodging, but that's not really what I need. There's food. Food signs. Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Burger King. Okay, don't need that. Ah, good! Fuel! I see a sign for uh, for Marathon, and for Texaco, and Exxon. I see a sign for what I need. So, it's a sign, right? And what does that sign... How do we treat the sign? Do we go off the road, get off the exit, we look and we see, okay, there's the, the big Exxon or Texaco sign. How foolish would it be for us to drive up to that, that pole holding the sign and just stand there as if we've accomplished something now what's the sign do it tells me there is a filling station here and we pull in and we take the gas tank off and we put the gas in the car that's what baptism and the lord's supper are doing we're not saying to our a child or an adult when they're baptized hey you've come to it it's a sign we're saying no let this let this, let this take you to Christ. He is the substance. When we eat the Lord's Supper, what are we to do? Mentally, we're to follow the sign to Christ. We take and eat the bread and the wine, but that's not where we're satisfied. It only points us to Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. It would be insane and absolutely foolish For us to become enamored by the fuel sign. That is, it's just pointing us to something that we need. And it is equally as spiritually ridiculous. If the sacraments of baptism, circumcision, the Lord's Supper do not quickly take us to Christ. We've totally misunderstood them. They are not an end in themselves. They serve something greater they're also taught to be a seal. I think this is a little harder concept for us to grasp. They're a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Um, A seal is a token, pledge, or a guarantee it's added to the promise of God to act as a visible certificate of God's faithfulness to His promise. This is pretty powerful if we grasp it, and it may take, take a while uh, for you to understand it, but this is what God's communicating through His sacramental signs circumcision, baptism, the Lord's Supper. God is speaking to us through these sacraments, and He is telling us that the things that they symbolize the Gospel promises, He will indeed uphold His promise if we participate in them by faith. If we cling to them by faith, He does what He promises to do. A brief illustration to help you with this. Uh, Let's say you get news from a lawyer. That you've inherited a piece of land from a relative who's died. It's a beautiful piece of land. You see the pictures. You can't believe it. No way. This is mine. I don't believe that this is mine. And then the lawyer pulls out the last will and testament. And it's got a state seal on it that authenticates it. And he says, yeah, this really is yours. Do you ever feel that way? Surely God, he's got to be tired of cleansing me with what i see in the baptismal formula and the baptismal sacrament he's got to be tired of feeding me why am i so weak he's got to be tired and he says you continue to believe i continue to provide everything that i promise in my sacrament this is or in the gospel this is a seal to you that i will indeed do what i tell you In the sacraments God is saying as you embrace Christ by faith, faith is very key here, the sacrament of circumcision meant nothing to the Jews apart from faith. God validates your gift of Gospel graces. God is saying He is faithful to fulfill His promise to you. Let's read verse 11 and 12 again he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. God is saying, I guarantee you, you will be righteous by faith. I guarantee it. I'm sealing this to you, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make Him the Father of the circumcised. Now here's the circumcised, the the Jews, who are not merely circumcised, not just the outward sign, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So when you participate in this sacrament today, there's nothing magical or mystical, that simply by eating the bread and drinking the wine you inherit something. You must exercise faith in the promises of God and take hold of them as God freely offers them in the Gospel. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the Gospel. It is a a remarkable teaching that we can be justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And we thank You that to, to strengthen, to guide, direct, and uphold our faith, to nourish our faith, You give us sacraments, not meant to take the place, but to serve. And we pray that we would understand these things rightly, and they would not cloud our vision or distract us from Christ, but they would rush us into His presence more quickly and readily. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.